Today we're going to be talking about what it's like to, to do life and faith together. And Philippians 1 Verses 27 through 30 is where we're going to land here in a few, but we've been in this series so far. We're, we're in the, the third week of a collection of talks through the book of Philippians in the New Testament, a book that Paul, the author, wrote to this new church. It's a church that is started from scratch, that had, they'd never heard about Jesus in this community. He was the first one to come and tell them that God sent his one and only son to give them life and life to the full, that if they would put their faith in him, and the fact that he died and he raised from the dead, that they could have life and life more abundantly than imaginable. And, and so he was sharing this message and it was transforming people. He wasn't doing it in a, a school or a fancy church building. He had the opportunity to do it at a, at a river bank. He was just talking about Jesus with people. And it birthed a church. And so now he finds himself removed from that community. He left it to the care of those who had decided to follow Jesus and were partnering with him in sharing the gospel. And he left it with them to uh, transform people's lives and carry on what he had begun. And he's writing them from prison. And he's writing them some incredible instructions about living a Christian, living as a Christian, and how it ultimately means being... Uh, a living expression of the gospel to the community around you. And so we're asking this question during our series, man, how is the transforming power of the gospel helping us be a demonstration of Jesus to the world around us? Are we on mission with Jesus in our community? And Paul does some interesting teaching here. He's talking to his disciples about how he wants them to understand that they share the fruit of each other's ministry. He's communicating this from a prison, saying, hey, what's happening to me here and people learning about Jesus here is your fruit as well as my fruit. What you're doing in Philippians is, is the positive results of, of what I was able to do there, but more so what you're doing now, carrying on the work of the gospel. We win together. And there's this lot of conversation about together here. And it's hard to convince or hard to tell stories and just to help you understand the weight of what we're able to do together. But let me share. This week, I was a part of being a coach at the Church Multiplication Network launch training in Puyallup. We had churches come in from all over the nation. There's a few of these launch trainings for those who are desiring to start a new church. And uh, we did a training for 17 new churches starting in 11 different states. And helping share the culture and DNA of what God has graced us with and the favor he's given us, sharing stories about community and the difference you're making in community and that we as a church have been able to accomplish in our city over the last 10 years. We celebrate our 10th year of gathering here in January and watching people light up with the possibility of serving their city. Like your story was encouraging 150 leaders and pastors in a room this week. That's, that's fruit from what you're doing that is going to go across this nation. Today alone, across this nation in the Church Multiplication Network, which is one of our strategic partners we support monthly, uh, they're launching 45 churches. Today's National Church Planting Day. It's, I guess it's a good day to start a church if your team's not playing at 10 a.m. But anyway, uh, 
Yeah, so it's kind of exciting to see what God is doing across the country. And you know what? Chances are we'll meet none of those people until we're in heaven. But the reality is you'll realize then, oh, like the fruit of the church is my fruit. I showed up. We're in this together. Even though we've never seen each other, we don't know each other's names. It's crazy to think. Crazy to think we're so closely tied to what Jesus is up to all across the globe. And so when we're, when we're looking at something about this spirit of together, what we're doing here in Bonnie Lake is inspiring people all around the world. It's hard to imagine. But God's up to something special. And Paul's challenging the Philippians with that same thing. We need to align ourselves. We're in this together. Think of a bigger picture, Right? And so, let's jump into the text for today, because I think you're going to see what I'm talking about. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I came to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Our big idea today is pretty simple. We face life together. This thing called life was never intended to do alone. We face life together. That's how we were designed. Who's the we? Who's the we Paul is referring to? He's specifically talking to the church. The church, those who have made a decision to follow Jesus, who have invited Jesus into their life, the church family, if you will. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. It's weird to think how much you use a middle finger. Not for that. Come on now. Uh, And how ridiculous of a design this little splint is. It has these holes so it can air out, but like my skin's going through the holes. It's like cutting my, my hand. And, you know, I was airing it out and not letting it, like, bend the wrong way this week. And this is messing my finger up, right? It hurts. And, and it didn't hurt before I put the splinter on. And, and all this stuff, you're like, it's just a finger, but it's part of the body. And when it hurts, it throws everything else off. Isn't it weird? You stub your toe. I didn't think, I did, I've never even thought of that toe in the middle. But, man, if I stub it, I'm thinking about it every time I take a step. I never thought about this ligament. I never thought about this knee, right? We have these things and we realize that's what Jesus is talking about. He's challenging us. We're a body. We're a family. And when one part of it hurts, we all suffer. And we need to realize we have to be together, working together at our perfect, like, level of wholeness. And life is going to be at its fullest. When we choose to follow Jesus, we enter into this family, not a chiropractic clinic. I was thinking about this this week. I don't know why. One of those things. 
I think about probably different things while I'm driving than you do. I did a lot of driving this week. We able, uh, we're also able to tell Open Life's story up at Northwest University to some potential interns to have them come and, and walk alongside us in ministry to reproduce what we're doing even farther out into the region. And, and we were, uh, and so I think about weird stuff. And I was thinking about a chiropractor. I don't know how you treat a chiropractor. Anybody been to a chiropractor in here? Come on. I kind of do enjoy it, you know, getting, getting everything realigned and you hear that big, I, I say they whack me. They're like, no, don't tell people we whack you. I said, but I call it whacking, you know? So I don't know. Anyway, so they, they would uh, realign you and they always give you a pitch, right? And when I show up at the chiropractor, I show up because something's hurting and it's been hurting and not gone away. Like I can't stand up straight or my neck's like this. And I'm like, okay, I give in. I'm going to the chiropractor. One, because I don't have chiropractic covered, so I'm paying out of my pocket. I'm kind of motivated by cheap. So anyway, uh, so, so we walk in and, and you know, we'll, we'll go through the whole process. And they're like, well, we, we're going to try to work this out. But again, if you would, if you would come in more frequently, you're probably not going to hurt in the future. Consistent discipline equals not getting up in a bind, you know, uh, versus always coming in because you're in a position of pain. I was like, I know, I know. But we sometimes treat church like that, God like that. Don't we? We're like, okay, uh, you know, we show up when we need the new job. Okay, so I'm, I, I need this new job. So I'm going to, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to show up now. i got to get things right. We kind of have this thought that like God's punishing us because we haven't been around. No, his love's extended to you. Being around just is preventative. It's giving you more life right now, right? We show up when, when uh, stu free stuff's being given out or we, you know, that's when we show up to the chiropractor and they have like a free day every year. You're like, show up on the free day. Sorry, guys, I haven't been around for a year. But it's the free day. Thanks for the gifts and the chiropractic. Uh, you know, we show up when we, we are, are ready for the baby dedication. We show up when um, we have nothing else on the calendar. Oh, I wonder what do you do? Oh, I might as well go to church, right? It's like, it's like oh, I might as well go. We kind of treat sometimes the church like a chiropractor, but how much more enjoyable would life be if we treated our relationship with God more, with more consistency, and we actually make him a part of our plan. We don't wait till we're overwhelmed. We don't, we, we place a priority on our relationship with Jesus, and we grow it consistently, daily even, through reading the Bible and praying, and weekly through church, and, and finding ourselves in community together. Galatians 6.2 says, share, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. We need to be together to know each other's burdens. We have to have environments where we can dialogue about the concerns that each other are having. And, and if we're gone for a long season, we just don't have a read or feel comfortable sharing our life with one another. It's kind of awkward to show up and just blah, blah, blah. For some people, if you don't have an outgoing personality, Paul finds himself in Philippians 1 helping the church understand what together truly looks like. 
And what he's doing is he's encouraging the church in a number of thoughts that there should be no greater people to rejoice with or go through trials with than the church. And so we have a few thoughts that will ultimately kind of guide our being more about doing life together. And, and Paul's challenge about together is, first, thought one, your conduct matters. It's kind of an interesting opening he gives, right? Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. This isn't his only time sharing that. He shares it to all the different churches. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. He says to the church, uh, uh, the Colossians, he says, The way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. He says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. He called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Wow, we've been called to a pretty high responsibility with this relationship with Jesus that we've been given. How are we living that out? Salvation is a free gift, and God made the way for you and me to be a part of his family by sending his son, and he invited us and initiated this relationship so that we could pursue through faith Jesus and growing in Jesus and living life more to the full through Jesus. Jesus isn't just an inspiration. This relationship should lead to transformation, and that should be evident to everyone, not only in the community, but in the church. We should know one another and celebrate the growth that's happening in the stories of your life. In an attempt to, to bring the church together in unity, Paul is helping those that have chosen to follow Jesus realize that their conduct impacts each other in the church and those outside the church. It made me reflect back to when I first showed up in church 20-year-old, at the lowest point of my life, uh, having been reminded of a phrase a, a high schooler told me when you hit rock bottom, show up to church. And I walk into the back of, of the church, and I, I'm looking around, and I actually knew a few people in church. I, know, I knew some faces from back in high school, uh, and I was like, huh, they're in church, Right? In fact, I, I knew one of the faces pretty well, uh, a co-worker not too long back that had stopped working on the Spirit of Puget Sound with us. We were entertainment, uh, singing and dancing waiters on the Spirit of Puget Sound. That would have been something to see. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's some images out there somewhere. But uh, we, we were living a life that was definitely not uh, Christ following. I didn't make a decision to give my life to the Lord until June of 93, and we're in January of 93 right now. I'm full on far from God, uh, uh, really far from God. And I walk into the back of this church, and, and I'm going, what is Jason doing up front in like the third row with his hand raised? Like, what's even that? I was confused. I knew nothing. I'd been de-churched for a long time, and I'm going, that that's, it was confusing, it was duplicitous, it was hypocritical. I was like, why? Just 
weeks earlier, I called him to supply alcohol for a massive party I threw in Makaltillo. At that party, one of my friends almost died of alcohol poisoning in my bathtub when my parents were gone. And I was standing there being messed up by the Holy Spirit because I was in a very uncomfortable place in a very low point in my life. And I was really delusioned by his presence in the room in front of me. Have you ever experienced that? Or maybe somebody's watching the news and they're like, man, I would go to church with you, but these are the things I'm seeing in the news about Christians. Like, that doesn't appeal to me. Somebody's getting in between their experience with Jesus. They're letting a human with failure and faults get in between them and Jesus, right? Well, I was glad I didn't let that happen and I didn't become the judge in that room. Because over the course of a few weeks, I finally got the courage to, to walk from the back row up and say, hey, Jason, it's me. He's like, Thad, what are you doing in church? I was like, I, honestly, let's go to lunch. I was wondering what you're doing in church, you know? And we had lunch at a teriyaki place, and I'll never forget, he was he's te all teary-eyed, and he's just like, I got to tell you, when you called me a few weeks back, and I went and bought all that alcohol for you, and I left that party, I thought to myself, where has my life become? You know, what have I done? And I actually came to church right after that. This is him talking to me. I actually came to church after that because I felt like that was a low moment for me and, and I got my life right with God. I was like, I'm glad I didn't judge him because he was on his own journey, right? Just as I was on my own journey. And I was so honored. We became friends. He's in ministry today over in Polsbo. So cool that God could transform such messed up lives like ours. And that's why I say our, our conduct matters because some people don't get past that hypocrisy. That's all the excuse they needed to not pursue Jesus. Conduct matters. I'm so glad I didn't let a person become, come in between myself and Jesus. And I hope that doesn't happen for you as well. Thought two, no one stands alone. Paul's hammering this in these three passages. He's like, no one stands alone. We stand together, right? We fight together for the good news. Ecclesiastes says it this way, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What a visual. Leviticus says it this way in verse in 26, 6 through 8, it says, I will give you peace in the land. You will be able to sleep with no cause for fear. I will rid the land of wild animals and keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with the swords, with your swords. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. All your enemies will fall 
beneath your sword. You cannot leave people to life alone. Like God did not design us to leave people to do life on their own. We need each other. We need to band together. We need to refuse to let people do life alone around us. We should take up the heart of God, if you would, and serve each other. Stand shoulder to shoulder. There's a story that I've shared in some different spaces. And it's funny that there's a guest here, a few, few here that grew up in youth ministries with me. So they've probably heard it before, maybe with background music playing at the same time. They'll remember it. Anyway, um, maybe you've seen Braveheart. Anybody, it's an old movie. I actually asked a college student, Braveheart, and they're like, this week, and they're like, Braveheart, I've never, never heard of that movie. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> William Wallace. You know, anyway, so um, Braveheart's this movie that I'm sure most of you are too, too pure to have ever seen such violence, but I read about it. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, he rallies this story of rallying Scotland towards freedom. William Wallace is uh, known for all these incredible slicing and dicing moments. Like Rambo 50's coming out soon or something, I think. And William Wallace could way, was way better at killing people than, than Rambo. But just a side note. Uh, at the end of the movie, it's interesting. William Wallace pays the price for, for rallying troops, and he would say they could take our lives, but they can't take our freedom. You know, it's, it's these things that are known in the movie. And, and at the end of the movie, he literally, in the end of the movie, Mel Gibson playing this role, screams for 27 straight seconds, freedom, before, well, he can't scream anymore because his head gets, well, anyway, so it's not a happy ending. It's one of those movies that's like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, it didn't, didn't end well for him. And, uh, uh, but if you go to Scotland and you look at the tribute to William Wallace, he's, he's third back. He's not in the front. In fact, if you remember the movie, Robert De Bruce, Robert De Bruce is in front of him. He's the weasel guy that, like, sells him out. The guy who would not fight with William Wallace was honored even in a greater way. Even that in front of Robert the Bruce was another individual, James Douglas, actually considered to be an even greater person on the battlefield than William Wallace. When he was 15 years old, James Douglas chose to watch the king. He was the guard for the king. He was chosen. He was known for his tributes already, and, and he would stand outside of a curtain watching and securing the king. All night he would sit there, and he would hear the king muttering, oh, that someone would carry my heart into battle. Oh, that someone would carry my heart into battle. Oh, that someone would carry my heart into battle. This is etched outside of where this tribute stands in Scotland. Late at night, he would, he would talk to the dead William Wallace, and he, he would weep and say, I should have fought with you. I should have fought for freedom. Then one night, there was no muttering. There was no moaning. There was silence. And James Douglas made his way into the room, and he called for the elders because Robert de Bruce had passed away. 
And the young man did something outlandish. He pulled out his sword and he stuck it into the chest. This is graphic. Everybody, young, innocent ears, close them at this one. No. He stuck it into his chest and he took out Robert de Bruce's heart. It's a real story. He put it in a vice and he burned it until it was just ashes. Then he poured those ashes into a locket and in a ceremony, he put that locket around his neck and said, I will carry the heart of my king into battle. And that's exactly what he did. He became the greatest warrior in the history of Scotland, therefore the honor of, of being the most honored statue when you show up in Scotland. And after many valiant battles, his day came. On the fifth day of a great battle, he sent runners out to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and they returned with the worst news that they could get. There was 2,000 to one side, 1,000 to each of the other sides, and another 2,000 on the south. It was like they were surrounded by thousands. And there was 93 warriors banded together in the middle. He, he said to prepare his man for battle. He pulled them in close so that they could all hear his voice. And he gathered all the men up. And as the enemy was getting close, so close that you could smell the meal they had had on their breath the night before, it says. He looked at his men and he took off his necklace and he threw the necklace as far as he could into the battlefield, into the enemy, and he screamed, will you fight for the heart of your king? And those 93 men battled thousands. As the women of Scotland went to find the men the next morning, they could not find the leader. He wasn't with a lot of the men who had perished in the middle. And after traveling a mile and a half, they finally found the body of James Douglas. When they found him, his fist was clenched on the sword so tight that they had to bury it with him. And as the women wept, they saw a glitter in his hand, and in it was the gold locket. On the chain was etched the heart of his king. Like, that's the kind of battle. A warrior. If you're motivated by that, I'm motivated by I have no idea why I'm motivated by that. It's kind of gruesome, you know. It had a heart and a locket. It's kind of sick. But anyway, it's like, come on. Shoulder to shoulder into battle. We need to live passionate lives like, like this for our king. King Jesus paid an incredible price for us. And will we carry his heart into life. Life is a battle, guys. Will we stand shoulder to shoulder when you're given a diagnosis? Will we be there when you get a tough foster child in the home and you just need some meals, you need some support and some respite? Will we be there as we wrestle through addiction and the challenges of temptation? Will we stick shoulder to shoulder when we face loss? Will we be shoulder to shoulder in seasons of fear and anxiety and mental illness? I'm tired of hearing stories of loneliness and pastors 
taking their lives in our country. No longer. This just makes me angry. I get, I get like indignant and then passionate. It's weird. I'm confused. And I cry about it. We can't just sit back and let life total people. We're supposed to stick together. And Paul's really challenging the Philippians with that. But boy, it's good today. This is good stuff today too, right? Thought three, we're stronger together. We are so much stronger together. Together we can stand firm in intimidation. And I don't know how the Philippians felt intimidated in this season, but they were being intimidated. And Paul's saying, stand firm through intimidation. Don't give in because it'll show just how strong your Savior is. If you stick through this, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to the voices that attempt to tell you you're alone. Because we know the word says, God will never leave us or forsake us. We are not alone. 1 John 4, 4 says, you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Don't give in to those voices that will try to intimidate you, whether they come from people or your own mind. Life can be overwhelming and intimidating, crippling at times. That's why we need each other. We need other voices around us that say, you can get through this. You got this. We got this. You're not alone. Together we will suffer. It's not always an easy passage, you know, verses 29 and 30. Let's suffer together, guys. This is going to be awesome. Right? We're Seahawks fans. We get to suffer through. Went and saw John Christ this week at the fair. He made a pass versus run joke. It's still painful being a Seahawks fan. We've suffered through our, our Super Bowls. But in life, we suffer too. What if we could be the best people to be around when things aren't going well? James 1 Verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The key in both intimidation and suffering is that we know God is with us and we know that the followers of Jesus are with us as well. We have to know each other for that to happen. We have to be in life together and faith in life together. And that's our action point this week. Our challenge is this. Do life and faith together. So if you can look to your left and right and you don't know all the names of the people around you, there's work to be done. Because God doesn't expect this thing called a relationship with Jesus to be a solo endeavor. And we try to manufacture the opportunity to be together. We try to, to create spaces, whether it be meetups that we've launched in the, uh, the past. And we have some on our uh, events page uh, to where you could go look at meetups on our next. If you go to Open Life 
.church slash next steps or click next steps on your app. You'll see the meetups link and you can go find. There's some, some walks for those that are battling cancer in our church. There are opportunities for us to do something together. You can launch a, a meetup or you can be a part of one, watch a Seahawks game together, whatever it is. Ladies night out this Thursday. <laughs> Corey's like, Yes! ladies night out, Corey. Anyway, so, uh, you know, there's these opportunities to craft relationship. Well, those meetups just happen every once in a while. There's consistent things like groups that we're trying to get back in session. But the reality is, is there's not enough groups for all of us. So there comes a point where we have to say, okay, yeah, we do need to do life and faith together. So I need to initiate, not just participate. What would it look like for, for us to prioritize togetherness in our world? And how might that be a positive impact? An open life wants to fan into flame whatever's stirring in your spirit as far as doing life together exists. So that none of us, that it would be really intentionally hard to do life alone when open life's around. That would be my prayer. I don't want people to face life alone. Find a night that works, a people that works, a time, watch a game together, eat a meal together, have coffee together. We need to initiate, not just participate. God has a plan for us. And Paul's challenging them to be together. And they loved him so much, they sent a messenger to check on him so that he wasn't doing a life alone in prison even. So they were walking it out, these Philippians. And I want to challenge you to walk it out. I want to pray for you today. Worship team is going to come. And I'm going to pray first. If you've yet to make that decision to be a part of the family to do life together, jump on into that relationship with Jesus. It's worth everything. Or maybe you just have been doing faith alone. No longer do it alone. Students don't do it alone at school. See you at the polls coming up, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, right, John? A moment where students from, from all kinds of churches will come and they'll gather at their flagpole on a Wednesday morning and they'll pray. Some of you who grew up in churches like, there's students in that? Yes. 30-second kneel down? Not so much, if you ever heard about that. But, uh, the, uh, but see you at the poll. And students walk into school and they see kids praying around a flagpole from all different walks and churches together like the church was meant to be. We should do that in our lives. We've got to find spaces to do life together. I'm going to pray that. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for being able to walk through a book of, uh, of the Bible that would challenge us maybe in spaces we wouldn't just land on our own if we were sticking with our own pet subjects or whatever. And that, God, we could look here and see such an emphasis on doing life together with those that are in the, the family of faith. Life and faith, connecting with God and each other, growing our relationship with Jesus together. 
And for some in this room, the first step they need to make is cross that line of faith and say, Jesus, come into my life as Lord and Savior. I choose to follow Jesus. And if that's you in this room and you've yet to make that choice, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do so. It's as simple as just lifting up a prayer to God saying, God, I, I, I want relationship with you and I confess Jesus as Lord today. I want my life to be fresh and new and I want to do life together with others who are following you. Let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. And now that we're a part of one family in this room, Lord God, challenge us to do life together. It's not convenient to go through life with family. There's challenges, there's hard seasons, and there's great wins. There's moments where we're celebrating together and we're mourning together. So God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to love through whatever we face. We would get through the seasons and the doubts and the struggles together. That we would find space in our overscheduled lives to do life together. To build one another up. To speak life into one another. So that no one could ever in our blast radius feel alone. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.